electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, thanks a lot, Carl, and welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Frank Holland in for the Judge Scott Wapner. NASDAQ and tech leading the sell-off at this hour as rate hike fears resurface. Those mega cap names, they've been the real driver of the rally this summer. Does this group have enough to keep fueling this market? Plus, two key sectors in this market making a quiet but major comeback. We're going to tell you all about it. And now, our investment committee on this Friday. Happy Friday to all of you, including Rob Seachin, Kevin O'Leary, Mr. Wonderful, Rich Saperstein, and right here with me on set, Shannon Sakosha. But first, before we begin, what's expected to be a spirited conversation, let's get a check on the markets right now. As you can see, we are in the red across the board. The S&P on pace to end its four-week win streak. The S&P right now down more than a percent. The Nasdaq on pace for its first weekly drop in five. And you can see right now down almost 2%. One of the things weighing on the Nasdaq, the rise in the 10-year, getting pretty close to 3%. That yield, 2.983. And that's right here where we begin the conversation. We really got to talk about the rate pressure in the markets right now. So many Fed officials making some comments today. We're going to just run through them very quickly. Uh, they include St. Louis President uh, Bullard saying to the Wall Street Journal, I would lean toward the 75 basis points at this point. Minneapolis President Kashkari saying, we know we have more work to do in raising rates to bring inflation down. San Francisco President Mary Daly saying she wants the markets to not have this idea that we'll have this large hump-shaped rate path where we'll ratchet up really rapidly this year and then cut aggressively next year. She says that is not what's on my mind. Pretty clear statement from her. Shannon, beginning with you, do you really think it's that rate pressure weighing on the market right now? Obviously, we have Jackson Hole next week and then we have the September meeting. Yeah, we've enjoyed a, a couple of weeks, really, since the last Fed meeting. We've had um, an a indication, at least from an economic perspective, that um, while the Fed is tightening, uh, the employment markets remain strong. We're starting to see uh, some real benefit in terms of lower energy prices and, and certainly on both consumer confidence as well as CPI and PPI. And so now, um, I think this narrative, we talked about this after the last meeting, the narrative that was starting to evolve in the market was that we were anticipating potentially a pivot in September and October. We did not believe that, and we cautioned, um, you know, and I've, and I've said this several times on the show over the last few weeks, we cautioned that there is no impetus um, and really no benefit for the Fed to move off of their rate hike path for the end of the year. And so I think what you're seeing today, and you're going to see this coming into Jackson Hole, and in particular coming into the September meeting, the Fed is making it incredibly clear that they are willing to do what it takes in inflation, that they are not likely, I think, telegraphing that they're not likely to change the dot plot as dramatically as they did from March to June, and that um, investors, especially those that have been clamoring for growth stocks, tech stocks, have been coming into the market pretty um, you know, pretty strongly over the last couple of weeks may want to just take a pause. So I think this is a little bit of caution from the Fed to say we have we have certainly not indicated that we're pivoting and we're not talking about cutting rates at all at this point next year. 
Mr. Wonderful, we're going to get to your moves in just a minute, but I know you believe that the market's about to flatten. Is it this uh, concerns about a rate hike that's flattening the market, or do you see other factors? I, I think we've had a really good retracement. Now we have this classic debate going on. Is this a bull market or bear market rally that's occurring right now? And, you know, 50% retracement, I don't care what index you look at, remarkable in, in the months of July and, and August. Also showing investors, once again, you can't time the market. If you were not participating in those periods, you've probably missed the entire year's gains. However, having said that, what really drives the market at the end of the day are earnings. This last earnings report was not too bad. It was pretty good. And I think it was a bit of a surprise, probably the reason the market moved. The question is, when is this slowdown coming? And, and uh, I, I look at it, and I always talk about this, as the index of private companies in America. I'm, I'm, we also run a book of private investments. And we see the tear sheets each week of revenue and free cash flow. Don't see the slowdown yet. And so the dilemma for investors is where to go with cash. You leave it in cash, you're getting taxed at 7%. That's the inflation rate. You put it into uh, high-quality govy bonds, you're making 300 basis points. For 10 years, that's a joke. That's, that's a horrible outcome, I think, a bad investment. It puts you back into equities, where you can get a div yield of one and a half, maybe to up to 3%, depending on what sector, and you park your money into high-quality. I didn't say value. I said high-quality names that have strong balance sheets and business models that aren't challenged by anything post-pandemic, and you can ride out the wave there. But I'm just saying you don't expect to make 20%, 30%. If the market gives us 8 or 9% for the next couple of years, that's still a good outcome, and that's where my head's getting to. Rich, over to you. I mean, how are you seeing this? Did we just have a bear market rally? Is it starting to flatten out now? Or do you see right now we're just seeing some uh, interest rate, uh, rate hike pressure hitting the market this week? Well, the rally was based on a, a, a premonition that the Fed's going to pivot and uh, we're going to have continued robust earnings going into 23. And we believe that the Fed is going to continue to pull away the monetary punch ball well, we will see declining levels of inflation, and also that's going to cause uh, reduced economic activity. And the reduced economic activity will lead to lower EPS. So in 2023, the S&P is, is basically calling for uh, roughly 243 in earnings, down from 252. And we just don't see that happening. If you look at the market today at 18 times 240, it's really selling at uh, a fully loaded level based on where earnings will be in 23. So we would be in the camp that this has been a bear market rally and we'd be cautious. However, that doesn't mean investors should be out of the market. Being out of the market obviously gives up tremendous opportunity in the long run. So what we're doing is basically focusing on high free cash flow companies which is where we want to be in this very uncertain economic climate. Rob, over to you. I mean, can stocks keep moving higher? Is this just a pause again on these concerns about the Fed raising rates? Well, they can because everybody on this show right now is agreeing. So the, the pain trade is higher. I'm going to jump into the, to the consensus pool and try to give a little context around why we think the rally will stall in the near term. And mainly all the macro factors that drove the bottom in stocks in June have begun to reverse. What were they? Yields topped, rate hike bets topped, the dollar topped, 
oil topped, all within three days of the lows in equities, and all boosted valuations and, and equities surged 20% uh, from that. But since July, these macro factors have begun turning back higher. Yields are up. Uh, Fed rate hike expectations are up. The dollar's up. Oil's up. Um, and so with that, stocks are, are whistling like none of this is happening. And we see many names being overbought and into what we think is resistance, which is about 4320. Um, at 19 times earnings on the S&P, valuations for broad stocks are expensive. There's a lot of opportunity within stocks. The counterpoint to what we are talking about is positioning. We are all sitting on the same side of the boat here, not, not, not just on this show, but just about everywhere. That means the pain trade could be higher, and it's the trade that would probably shock most people. What this has done, though, and I think it's really, really important, and we have to pay attention to this, we have to respect the much improved momentum and breadth of this latest bear market bounce. And... You know, what that does in our eyes is it takes the likelihood of a June retest of the lows off the table. Um, will there be volatility? Yes. Why, were, why, why could we be wrong on this volatility call? Well, earnings could come in better than expected. But Frank, EPS estimates are still high, plus 11% for 22, plus 88% for 23. Um, that's not a low bar to jump over. So I got to tell you, in this in this environment, I think it pays to be cautious, not uninvested. How are you cautious? It's like the gentleman and and Shannon on this show have talked about. You focus on quality because quality has vastly lagged in this uptrend. This has been a beta uptrend. Take your beta and rotate it into quality. Quality's on sale. Well, Rob, I want to push back for a second because we also want to talk about mega cap tech coming under some selling pressure today. But overall, this group has really been some of the, you know, the catalyst for the rally that we're seeing. So some Bank of America data out today. They're they're kind of in, in your camp, uh, Rob. I want to say that they say bear rips are always narrow. They say the 17.4 percent gain in the S&P since that June low was created mostly by four stocks, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon and Tesla. They say they contributed 30 percent of that gain. So, Rob, I'm actually going to come back to you. Do you think that supports your argument that these four stocks, which are quality, are leading to so many of the gains? Yeah, I, I would I would say that it does, right? Um, because there's bifurcation in every sector between uh, high quality and low quality. Um, but if you're just looking at the sector, uh, estimates are too high in, in, in tech. Tech estimates have gone up, not down this year. In fact, the growth part of the market trades at 26 times. That is a, a, a huge premium to the market. And we think as liquidity tightens, it's no longer a place that you can, you can hide in. Um, you've seen hiring freezes, layoff, layoffs, the tech giants are uh, questioning the resilience of their uh, aggressive growth outlooks. And so not every business is created the same. And so when you look at what's happened to ARC recently from a performance standpoint versus what's happened to some of these other names, I think there's going to be and will continue to be a divergence in performance. So you know, we recently added to Apple, and it's because Apple represents the quality within that sector. Um, we, we added to it in March. It's been a long-term core holding. And, you know, since March, it's outperformed the market by like 35%. Right. So 
quality matters. I mean, quality does matter, Shannon. So, I mean, I think the real question here is can four stocks uh, pull the market higher? Do they have more room to run? I mean, we're looking at some of the blue chip stocks, honestly, Tesla, Microsoft, Amazon. Um, and we talked about a lot about valuations, all of them trading right along uh, with Ford PE, right about the NASDAQ, with the exception of Amazon at 112 times forward earnings. Well, if we were talking about this a month ago, we would have said there's no way we can rally, actually, without um, these large names, save Tesla, perhaps participating. And so I think that the flip side of this is that let's just think about why these companies um, and why now. And if you need to engineer growth from a business perspective, if you need to be able to deliver top line and bottom line growth in an environment where we are entering into lower growth expectations from a, from a secular perspective, then that is exactly the type of environment that we experienced, albeit with, you know, in some rising rate cycle, 2017 and 2018. So I, I think what investors are doing is that for better or worse, they're looking back to the pre-pandemic playbook in terms of where did we get growth top line and bottom line growth, what types of companies were able to engineer that? Companies that had a broad mix, like Amazon, um, in terms of technology and consumer businesses, um, strong brands. I couldn't agree more with Rob in terms of quality, but I think about quality associated with strong branding, which Apple is probably the, the one of the biggest, if not the biggest, well-known brand in the world. And so I think one of the things that we need to look at is, is this too far too fast? Is, are, we t are we pricing in potentially slower growth, looking for these companies to be able to deliver that growth like they did in the pre-pandemic era and not taking into account all of the existing conditions of supply chain disruptions, higher input costs, um, and perhaps a less than engaged or enthused consumer going into 2023. I think that's where we're, there's a disconnect perhaps in the enthusiasm, for instance, for Apple right now, because a lot of what we need to see is happening in China from a production and consumption standpoint. I'm not sure we're quite back on track there. And I actually think that will be the catalyst for Apple going into 2023. So, Mr. Wonderful, I just saw you raising an eyebrow when we were. When I was going over to Shannon. You seemed you had something you wanted to say. I mean, are you a believer that these four stocks and other mega cap tech stocks can keep this rally going, or do you think it was just a bear market rally? No, I am a believer in these names. They are fully indexed in the sense that most institutional investors hold them at a 5% weighting in the majority of their funds. I know that because I'm in the index business. So I always like an underlying bid. I own a 5% weighting in Apple as well because everybody owns 5% in Apple. And that means there's always an underlying bid. Plus, the company's basic metrics are very good. But I want to say something about tech that that, that is a little, uh, maybe not controversial, but is the reason that I am full 20% weighting in the sector and always have been. And when tech drops off, I buy more of it across the board. Never before has the tech sector ever permeated the rest of the 10 other sectors of the economy the way it has now. There is no company that isn't engaged in cloud or security services or direct-to-consumer digital models. All of this technology, this, th that sector saved the American economy and indeed the global economy and is now fully embedded in everything, everywhere, in every sector. Microsoft, for example, you can't even run a bank anymore without the tools that Microsoft provides you. So financial services has to use tech. Industrials have to use tech. Consumer uses tech just to sell direct to consumers and gather the data of preference, size, color, flavor, all the rest of that. Tech should always be your anchor because it is the essence of the underpinning of the economy. And that's why I think when people start to say, oh, the Fed's raising rates, 
Who cares? You can't run the economy without technology, regardless of what rates are. So, Rich, over to you. I know you have a lot of dry powder right now. What are you waiting for? I mean, if you hear uh, Kevin's argument, you might as well just put that money into tech right now. Well, we agree with Kevin, and uh, we're overweight technology. Yet we have to clarify between zero cash flow technology versus large cap technology. And, and we're clearly in the uh, overweight of large cap tech. And the rationale is we talk about labor shortages. That's going to lead to more technology adoption. These companies are growing faster than the S&P. And they have large moats around their businesses and recurring revenues. So when we look at the cash flow, if you look at an Apple right now with the cash flow, the, the free cash flow roughly of $110 billion a year, you're going to start seeing ongoing return of capital to shareholders. Google, $95 billion in operating cash flow. They spend $30 billion in CapEx. You have $65 billion in free cash flow every year. So when we move into an environment where the, the economic landscape is rocky and uncertain, because here we are, every word on the Fed is, is being debated and levels of interest rates impacting the stock market. And we have a lot of protectionists going on around the world. We have the untold story of a war. So we're going to be moving into uh, a rocky landscape of investment. I want to own names that have been dependable, that have greater adoption, and elevated levels of free cash flow. And large cap tech is clearly in that camp. Yeah, I hear you guys talking a lot about large cap tech. We're generally talking about growth when we talk about large cap tech, but we've got to talk about Meta just for a second. Price target cut today by Morgan Stanley. Um, they're just basically saying they've, they face some execution uncertainty. Uh, Kevin, I want to come over to you. Are you feeling that way about Meta as well? Is this one of those quality names that we're, we're kind of – uh, tossing around the circle right now, or do you believe it's not as quality as it once was? Uh, you know, I, I own this name just under 200. It's very, very painful for me. And and to, to, to really put it in a nutshell, the market is undecided on this next big Zucker move about going into the metaverse. And if you're ever going to find a place, if this is going to become a reality and going to become the next phase of Facebook 2.0, you have to believe in his vision. And the, the thing about his vision to think about in detail is the metaverse will be a place where advertising does matter, but also transactions will matter as well. So if you're a large brand, and this is the reason to own the name. This is one reason to own the name. And there's lots of reasons not to own it because everybody hates it so much and hates him so much. <laughs> But here's a reason to think about maybe taking a position in this name. If you're a Nike or you're a giant brand, an apparel brand, whatever it is, and you're going to go into the metaverse and start advertising, set up your storefront there, you're probably going to want to do it in a curated place because the, way, the vision of the metaverse is twofold, uncurated, Wild West, and curated in a platform or on a platform where you can control message, you can control who your neighbor is, you can control the transaction, and you can remain compliant within your own environment. That's the vision of the metaverse that, that the old Facebook had and is now trying to drive for. Now, if you don't like that vision, you don't own this name. Meanwhile, back at the farm, it's still the number one spend for small businesses in America because of geolocked advertising. Now, if you think we're going into recession, yes, those cash flows will slow down. But I think that's already built into this stock. This stock 
has been slaughtered, not just by price. It's been re-indexed. It used to be a 5% weighting in a traditional mandate. It's down to 2% now. All of that selling that crushed it was the re-indexing of the sovereign wealth and pension plan. It happened really quickly. And now it has to show me, it has to prove something towards that metaverse direction and that new vision, and it'll get re-indexed back up to its peers at 5%. You know, Kevin, great point about uh, cash flow. And Siege, I want to come over to you. I know you're a little questionable about Meta right now. Is the, yeah. uh, the difficulty monetizing reels part of the reason why you're kind of questionable about it? Yes, listen, we own it. Uh, it's, been pain, it's been painful to own. Um, it's on the chopping block for us because of deterioration in cash flow generation. Its core businesses are shrinking uh, while it's making huge investments in new businesses that are unlike, unlikely to generate uh, profit or cash anytime soon. Free cash flow generation fell 55% year on year in the second quarter. Right. Valuation. Yes, it's like a classic value trap right now. Valuation looks less compelling on the forward outlook, you know, because free cash flow yield is four percent. Um, the trailing 12 months, it was eight percent. So, you know, there's a lot of questions around this name. I love the product. The stock has become a show me stock and they're just not showing us. And so for that reason, it's on the chopping block. Yeah, As right. Kevin would say, for that reason, I'm out. <laughs> all right, Meta Platform's <laughs> down 3.5% right now. Up next, the committee's making a lot of moves in this market. Their latest buys and sells, those are up next. Halftime, back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back to Half. Busy Friday. The investment committee is making moves. Kevin, you're selling a bunch of names. I'm going to run them down. Boeing, CrowdStrike, Twitter, Verizon, Diageo, Unilever. Um, I want to start with CrowdStrike, if you don't mind. Um, why did you decide to get out of this name? A lot of people feel like there's a lot of tailwinds for this stock. Geopolitical tension, the Russia-Ukraine war, the transition to cloud. What made you get out? One of my best performers from the June lows, uh, this name has really performed. And I'm just trimming the portfolio. I don't have, it, it's, if you look at it, it's rolling over a little bit, just like the market's trying to decide. These names tend to be very volatile. I'm not against the sector it's in, but I have other places to put money to work when I'm involved in security and cloud services. It's just, 
you know, it, at a time like this and a pause that refreshes, I don't mind taking some profit off the table. Not at all. And that's what I did with this name. Uh, you want to go through a few of your other sales, um, including Diageo. Interesting. A lot of people see Diageo, Spirits Business, as a defensive place to put some money. But you decided to get out of that as well. Yeah, it, it, there's no compelling reason for me to own it from here. It's, it's recovered with the market. It, it has reasonably good metrics. But when I scan for higher quality balance sheets, I can find them. And so it's, it's really this theme. And you've heard it from across the committee here this morning is I want strong balance sheets. I want cash flow, as I like to call it, cash flow. I love cash flow. And I'm looking for names that have cash flow to protect me in the case we go sideways or down. Those names will be less volatile. This isn't the highest quality I can find. And, and, and I'm getting very selective, very, very picky. All right. Uh, that cash flow pronunciation, that must be an inside joke. I'm not here, but I get it. You're taking your loonies and toonies somewhere else. Seach, you also <laughs> sold Diageo. Yes, I have. I say cash flow a little differently because I'm from Pittsburgh. <clears throat> ben Kevin does from, from Canada, but we're selling it because it also scores poorly on valuation outside of free cash flow. Dividends in our in our models scores poorly. They've been decelerating. Uh, we also see risk that Diageo's premium line of liquors could be exposed to trade downs. Uh, consumers that continue to struggle with inflation. So essentially, we're saying that they might go from popping bottles of Dom to popping bottles of Andre if this economic weakness continues. So again, it was a position for of ours for a long time. But we think it's time to move on. Andre, you're too good for Andre, Siege? Oh, by the way, I went to Pitt. So they got a lot of Andre and a lot of Iron City out there. So I don't think you're too good for it. <laughs> I, Kevin. I, do like, I do like the Iron City. Love it. You know, I'm a Steelers guy. <laughs> Kevin, I want to circle back to you. You're also selling Boeing. Boeing's been on a pretty good streak. Um, our Phil LeBeau's been doing reports. A lot of encouraging metrics for Boeing um, when it comes to shipments of planes and customers taking more orders. Why get out now? Uh, good run, uh, good returns, uh, waiting for the China story. I mean, what th there's th there's no reason to think you're going to get more upside on Boeing until you really resolve these giant issues around what customers and what orders and when the deliveries are going to occur. It, it's it's a Boeing's turned into a China story. That's what I think, because you've got to get the behemoths to give you a really long runway of orders here and then go through the trials and tribulations of delivery. But we're in a funky place with China right now, as everybody knows. So I don't see any more upside in the name. All right. Siege, I want to come back over to you. You sold Intel. Speaking of some trials and tribulations, the chip sector this year. So what made you want to get out at this point? So um, should have got out earlier. I leave. I, I leave Jenny uh, in it. Um, you know, I, I've taken a lot of heat on this over the years. But we take the Jerry Jerry Maguire approach to quality, which is show me the money, meaning cash flow. And Intel has done anything but show us the money. There's been a deterioration in cash generation, and the likelihood that weak cash flow persists because of Intel's need to have high capex in order to catch up uh, with their peers on technology. In fact, free cash flow swung from a $6.5 billion, uh, swung to rather, a $6.5 billion loss in 22 from a $5 billion gain in 21. And the weak cash flow also means that Intel isn't cheap anymore. So we're, we're going to move out of Intel and stick with less capital intensive, more cash generative semi names. So we also own 
KLA and AMAC, with which both only spent about three percent on their of their sales on CapEx last quarter, while Intel spent forty-seven percent of sales on CapEx, all because they have to catch up. So we're still in semis, but it's where we are that matters. Yeah, Intel down two percent right now. Uh, the SMH chip ETF down three percent, down four percent on the week. All right, coming up, General Motors. We're going to take a look at it. Seeing a nice gain today after reinstating its quarterly dividend. We'll debate the stock and give you the committee's favorite dividend plays in this market. Plus, don't miss the CNBC special report tonight at 6 Eastern. Battle for the Consumer, hosted by Courtney Reagan. That's at 6 Eastern tonight on CNBC. Halftime. We'll be right back. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Good afternoon. Here's our CNBC News update at this hour. U.N. Secretary General Antonio Guterres visiting Odessa in Ukraine, the port where Ukraine is once again exporting grain to the world. He urged people to come together and help during the ongoing war. It's time for massive and generous support so developing countries can purchase the food from these and other ports and people can buy it. Developing countries need access to financing now. Three people were killed after two planes crashed mid-air over the Watsonville Municipal Airport in California. A pet on board one of the planes was also killed. Both the FAA and National Transportation Safety Board are investigating the crash to determine the cause of collision. And three orphaned black bear cubs from San Bernardino County have passed their health exams. That brings them one step closer to being returned to the wild. According to the California Department of Fish and Wildlife, two of the bears are siblings who were orphaned after their mother was killed by a person while she was attempting to break into a cabin. The third unrelated bear is believed to have lost its mother to a car accident. Frank, back to you. What a down note to end on. I, know, I mean, sorry what about a, that. Just, just for the audience, you see the it's bears, like job. their little paws against the gate. They're actually back outside now. They were inside to get treatment. They're actually back outside. I mean, there you yeah. go. So Cute picture. There's though. a little bit of a happy ending. Sima Modi, thank you. I don't even know what else to say. All right, <laughs> moving back to the actual purpose of the show. Shares of deer off their lows. The heavy equipment maker missing profit estimates and cutting its guidance as it grapples with part shortages and higher raw material costs. Kevin, you actually just sold deer. I did. Um, and I want to give some credit to Farmer Jim because I'm, I'm actually a big fan of Halftime Report. I get a lot of ideas because I agree with a lot of investment philosophy of the investment committees that come and go. But I traded out a cat into deer after talking to him for a while about it. And I have I've had a great run with it. But my concern about this name and the sector, frankly, is the strong American dollar. It's really, really hard to think about when you see a collapse of the euro or the suffering going on on other currencies, whether it be Turkey or anywhere else, frankly, vis-a-vis the U.S. dollar, makes this, this equipment really expensive to the global buyer. And that's a cons- quite a bit of the market. Now, deer is less exposed than cat is, but I think taking money off the table here was the right idea pre this print, and it's proving out my thesis, the dollar is killing them. Uh, Shannon, what's your take? The dollar is up about 2% this week alone, um, up double digits this year. 
I mean, I think the dollar has continued to strengthen, and that certainly creates some challenges. But I want to go back to this agriculture play in terms of where deer could have a, certainly a longer runway here. We're seeing significant consolidation, particularly here in the United States, in farming. Um, and, I, and I think that there is going to be a need for increased efficiency. So from my perspective, being able to increase yields um, against the fact that you're seeing higher costs for fertilizer, for instance, this is a great opportunity from a longer-term perspective to really invest back into farm farming infrastructure in general. And I think that over time, despite this myth, deer will be able to benefit from that. You're hard to not think there's going to be an upside for deer, especially with the issues over in Russia and Ukraine and the need to probably grow more things in different parts of the world. Absolutely. All right. Meanwhile, shares of GM in the green, but off of their highs. The automaker reinstating its dividend after halting it during the early stages of the pandemic. GM also resuming buybacks. Kevin, you own this one as well. Yeah, um, everybody knew this div was going to come back. That's well known. And, and to those of us who uh, own, own names that provide some kind of distribution, it was on the list. I have it for another reason, though. Uh, slowly but surely, the narrative of EV is coming into the name, more so than Ford, for example. And the aura of Tesla and the demand for EV and models that are well-priced and can be delivered will come into this name over the next 24 months. I think it's a, it's a good place uh, to park some cash. And I think this will be a player in the EV space just on the logistics side of distribution. They're big, they're powerful, and they're making the right moves. And I love the div. All right, speaking of dividends, we're going to go around one time and get everybody's dividend pick. Rich, I'm going to start off with you. Canadian Natural Resources is a stock we've owned for years. Uh, they've got about a 15% operating cash flow margin, and they are using some for CapEx, but they're buying back 1% of stock a year, 4.2% dividend yield, and they just paid out a 2% special dividend. So you have a company with very high cash flow on an operating basis, and they're returning it to shareholders. Siege, over to you. Yeah, so I'm gonna, I also like that. Good job, Rich. Um, in the healthcare sector, um, which we, we like because it represents the cheapest of the defensives, we like AbbVie, 4.1% dividend yield uh, in large cap biopharma. The stock's cheap at 10 times earnings because of uncertainty around how biosimilars are going to uh, affect their blockbuster uh, drug. We think management can navigate this transition and uh, think that that's a great place to continue to clip that dividend. We also like Gilead in the same space, 4.5% dividend yield um, because of the strength of their drugs like Victarvi, um, a huge pipeline of drugs, drugs spanning uh, cell therapy, uh, HIV and oncology. Um, you know, and uh, we think they just beat on both the top and bottom lines. In despite slowing concerns around uh, remdesivir sales, they raised their 22 guidance. So this is a company that we think is going to maintain that dividend as well, and we like the sector. Shannon. Yeah, when our emphasis is actually on the growth of dividends. And so I, I agree with um, Kevin's assessment that having GM reinstitute a dividend that points to sustainability and dividend sustainability and growth is important to us. Oracle, Accenture, both names in our portfolio that are tech, tech you know, tech adjacent names. However, they have the opportunity to continue to grow that return of cash flow to investors. And so I think from a services perspective, looking for sustainable uh, income cash flow, but making 
making sure that they're continuing to return that to shareholders in the best way possible, um, which has certainly changed with the buyback uh, rule that we just saw last week. So um, those are a couple of names that we think are, are in integral to a dividend portfolio. Yeah, dividend growth is something a lot of investors are looking at as they search for that yield. All right, biotech down with the rest of the market today, but seeing a nice rebound in the last few months. Rob Seachin has a new buy in that space. We'll reveal the name and tell you how to play the biotech bounce from here on. That's coming up next on Halftime. All right, biotech rebounding up more than 40% from its May low. Rob, you're making a few moves in this space. Uh, just, just one, really. Um, uh, we're adding a position in Vertex Pharma, um, which increases uh, our overweight to the healthcare sector. Uh, Vertex is primarily focused on uh, treatments for CF, and the success of these treatments has produced a multi-year period of rapid margin expansion and EPS growth. Um, you know. I would say this company continues to post um, great execution on their core businesses, and they have a strong balance sheet. And the deep pipeline that they have uh, presents a compelling combination of growth and stability. So at, at 20 times next year's earnings with 30% free cash flow margins, 50% operating margins, 5% uh, free cash flow yield, and potentially a 20% compound long-term EPS growth rate, you know, I think this is, this is a place you can be overweight within the, uh, the biotech sector. Shannon, what's your thoughts? I mean, we're talking pipeline, we're talking EPS growth. Um, I believe Vertex is also Boston-based, up from where you're, you're at. Yeah, and we see, I mean, we, we definitely benefit from uh, biotech growth in the uh, in the Boston-Cambridge area. Um, our exposure to biotech is primarily through big pharma. Um, you've seen a lot of acquisition. You know, a lot of those standalone larger biotech firms have been have been gobbled up. And I think in the in the small and mid-cap space is, is probably where we would prefer to see biotech exposure. However, I don't want to understate the importance of the growth of life sciences research that is going to continue over the next five to ten years. So coming up with companies that are adjacent to biotech, being able to opt optimized clinical trials, being able to potentially partner with some of these biotech companies to get drugs through the process of trialing even faster. Um, that is where we, we see potential growth in this area over the next few years. Kevin, you feeling good about biotech right now? What's your take on this? I do feel good about biotech. My focus is on longevity research, and I've invested there privately and publicly. One, one comment, though, about investing in biotech and picking names. Uh, what I've seen, it's just a personal observation, but I, I believe it to be a fact in, for the last three, three decades. Find me a biotech manager that picks names. Look at their performance over three years, let's say, or just buy the IBB. Virtually none of them beat the index because biotech is so binary in outcome. In other words, if you're betting on a new drug in a small cap, mid cap bi biotech company and you're going into trials, you know, stage one, stage two, stage three, you have no idea of the outcome. It's completely random on a larger scale and it's reflected in the outcomes. I mean, you can lose 80% on a one product company if you're going to go into the real beta and a risk side of it all. And so if you just buy the IBB, as I've learned for the last 30 years, you get the same returns. Sorry to all the managers that are picking names, but you guys suck. <laughs> wow. Uh, it's, it's Friday, Kevin. It's Friday. Take it easy. Uh, Rich, over to you. I know you're not in the space. Uh, Kevin does make a good point other than, you know, saying people suck. Um, these companies really do bleed cash. 
Yeah, these are uh, zero cash flow companies that have suffered as a result of the pivot by the Fed from easy to tight money. And it immediately impacts the zero cash flow companies in all industries, and biotech is not excluded. And so uh, we're not in, in that industry uh, on an individual stock basis, uh, and we would definitely be farming money out to outside managers or to the index. I will say, though, that I think there's roughly 200 biotech companies now that are trading below their cash levels. And as a result of that, we expect to see acquisitions increase and more M&A from larger cap, uh, uh, larger cap pharma. All right. Hey, Frank. Yeah. Frank, this, this underscores a really important point from a market perspective right now, and that's the transition from buying markets to buying individual names. Not all stocks in markets are created equal. Again, the dichotomy between quality and high beta. I, I think in every sector, biotech should not be excluded from that. There are opportunities that are presented, and you know, part of our job is to try to identify what those opportunities are. I don't discount what, what Kevin is saying, because for somebody that doesn't want to take those surgical risks and make those types of bets, an ETF or a sector play is a very elegant way for them to get that exposure without some of the same risks that present themselves in a, in a rifle shot approach. So, you know, every sector right now, we would argue it's time to be a stock picker. All right. Speaking of the XBI ETF, up 41 percent from its June low. Uh, excuse me, I believe it's May low. All right, stay with Halftime. Mike Santoli joins us now, or coming up with his midday word. Halftime, right back. And welcome back to Halftime. NASDAQ and tech leading the markets lower. Senior markets commentator Mike Santoli joins us from the NYSE with his midday word. Hey, Mike. Hey, Frank, you know, I still think we're operating within sort of normal expected pullback range from this, um, you know, pretty big rally, 17 percent off the lows. Five straight winning weeks is a rarity, so we're probably not on target for that. And the pressure coming uh, from Europe really is the way I would read it overnight. Uh, The very hot inflation readings in Europe sent yields there up. And then we have the 10-year yield bumping up toward 3 percent again and, you know, the two-year yield here back toward the high. So all those reminders of the fact that financial conditions after having loosened can retighten the U.S. dollar index also pushing back toward its high. So if nothing else, it's a little bit of a test of the premise of what we've seen in the markets here, along with the better than feared earnings and the economic resilience in some numbers like the labor market uh, numbers in industrial production. So, you know, I don't know if we can build it uh, on, on some effort to come off the lows as we've seen multiple days this week. But keep an eye out now that the European markets are closed. All right, Mike Santoli with his midday word. Mike, thank you. All right, straight ahead here on Halftime, we'll set you up for the big earnings next week and how the committee is positioned ahead of all those results. We're showing them to you right here. Halftime, we'll be right back. All right, welcome back to Halftime. Let's take a look at some of the big earnings on deck for next week. Zoom set to report on Monday. Kevin, you own it. And like it, even though it's down more than 70% from his 52-week high, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for some words to come out of you, some, un, some <laughs> unnice ones. What like that? You know, 
you know, it's sort of uh, uh, my favorite Beatles song is I've Got a Feeling. And I'm telling you, this name and all of the other earnings coming up, here's my feeling. I think we're going to confound the bears uh, on this, this next series of earnings reports. And it's, it's going to be very painful to watch because I have a feeling that more than half the companies are going to beat significantly right across the board. The economy is still really strong. And I, I see it every day in, in my private businesses. So I'm not there yet on earnings rolling over. If that happens, look for another leg up. And I think it's going to. I've got a feeling. Yeah, when you said that, I was thinking Black Eyed Peas. i got to be honest. I had no idea the Beatles had that song. Uh, Workday and VMware, they report on Thursday. Shannon, you own them. I do. Um, this will be it. We just actually recently added Workday, and this will be our second earnings call for, for VMware since we added that earlier this year. Um, looking for uh, continued clarity on um, subgrowth for uh, Workday. We're expecting that to continue above 20% for the foreseeable future. Um, there is a land and expand aspect to this similar to Salesforce in terms of being able to do not only HR um, front-facing um, with employees, but also enterprise resource management, which is very critical um, given the disconnect between job openings um, and unemployed persons. And then on the VMware side, really looking for um, some clarity on how much companies are switching over to pure cloud and how many of them are staying in that hybrid environment with core server plus cloud as the platform for the future. So, All right, medical device maker Medtronic reports on Tuesday. Rich, you own this one. Yeah, it's a uh, really a technology company uh, in the medical space that benefits from favorable demographics and the aging of society. Uh, it's currently selling at about two P.E. turns lower than its five-year average, 6% operating cash flow yield, and uh, we're expecting a solid earnings report. I think it's on the 23rd when they report. All right. Final trades. Those are coming up next on Halftime. Stay with us. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. All right, time now for final trade. Shannon, you're first up. Estee Lauder, uh, return of travel and uh, potentially some loosening of restrictions in China uh, bode well for this uh, stock, I think, over the course of the next year. Siege. Uh, we're a little cautious, so we like healthcare. I think you can buy Eli Lilly, premium valuation, but great fundamentals with an attractive uh, risk return profile. Mid teens, top line growth, and 23% long term expected EPS growth. Mr. Wonderful. Devin Energy. You know, everybody hates energy, everybody hates Devin. I like cash flow. Management's basically come out recently and said, look, we're going to distribute half of our free cash flow back to shareholders. What's not to like about that? Rich, you get the last word. Marathon Oil, 82% of their production is domestic. They have a whopping 21% free cash flow yield, and they're going to be returning it to shareholders. All right, there we go. Before we let you guys go, I want to take one last check at the markets right now. Markets in the red across the board right now. A lot of concerns about whether it's a bear market rally or not. The Nasdaq, the hardest hit at 1.73% down. Uh, rising bond yields also hitting the, the tech-heavy index. And that's going to do it for the Halftime Report. Have a great weekend. The Exchange with Kelly Evans coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. 
From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.